I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 40. Today in the show, we're discussing what to do with your time in these months just after deer season ends. And spoiler alert, there's a lot to do. Alright, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. And, you know, it's January 19th, I think, today. And so we're talking about, you know, what some people call the postseason lull, that time period after most people's hunting seasons are done. And um, we're, you know, at the farthest point away from the next season that we'll ever be at. So for a lot of people, it's kind of a lull. Uh, but what me and Dan want to talk about today is the fact that. Really, it shouldn't be a lull. There are a lot of things we can be doing to prepare for the next season, the 2015 season in this case. So that's what we're going to talk about. But before we do that, Dan, how are you over there? I'm doing great. Um, Let me just say one thing, though, Mark. Yeah? We have done 40 episodes of Wired to Hunt. Isn't that crazy? That's nuts. I feel like we just started it. It's, uh, It's gone really fast. Like when we started... It was just this idea that had been incubating for a long time, and I remember I think I, I think I sent you an email or a text or something. I was like, "Hey, I've got this podcast idea. I I think you'd be a good person to do it with." And I, I don't know, it all kind of came from that. Now we're media moguls. <laughs> I won't go that far, <laughs> <laughs> but we're we're something, I guess. I don't know. A couple idiots on the on the air, maybe. Maybe that's right. a more accurate way to say it. <laughs> right. I I agree with the later. Yeah. Yeah. Also, by the way, you sound really good. You sound different than usual, Dan. What happened? <laughs> well, um, through some brainstorming and a couple comments on, uh, I believe it was the um, iTunes account saying, hey, Dallas sounds like he's in a bathroom. <laughs> well, finally, we put our two brains together to make one and we figure out that I'm not even recording using the microphone that I have on my desk. So. <laughs> The 40th episode is the very first time I've ever recorded using this microphone. So, And this just, it cracks me up because I just see you with your face in this microphone for 39 <laughs> hours and not once has it actually been working. <laughs> oh boy. I feel like a, a dumbass. I hate to say it. 
you know, live and learn, live yeah. and learn. And look at that. With one click of a button, we've totally changed what people think about the podcast because now you don't sound like you're sitting on the toilet the whole time. Exactly. It, that would be hilarious if it actually changed my voice. And I sounded like <laughs> this. <laughs> now, here's the issue. What if people don't like what you really sound like now? And yeah, they, exactly. They, they give up oh on the podcast. God. He is so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to see if there's any new feedback that comes in. <laughs> yeah, go back to the old way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But I'm glad we got that figured out because, yeah, you sound much clearer and, um, you know, better so my mom, my mom always said i had a beautiful voice what did you say uh, the voice of a school child was that uh, it? yeah the voice of a schoolboy. <laughs> I, I don't know if i can I, I don't know if i go that far but <laughs> let's start talking about deer yeah yeah i know we, we probably should i um man i don't know like you like you said it's the podcast 40 episodes now and yep. you know when we started it was all talking about the 2014 season and everything we were doing leading up to the 2014 season. And, and now that's done. Now it's a whole new year and, and we're kind of starting this whole new process over again. And um, what I think will be pretty cool this year is that, you know, last year we didn't get to start our conversations and our stories until, you know, late spring. But now we can really talk about an entire year, an entire season. And I think you're, you're just like me in that, um, you know, deer hunting isn't you know, defined by the hunting season that the state puts forward. You know, it's not October 1st through December right. 31st for me. It's it's January 1, 2015 through December 31st, 2015. That It's really a whole year um, of work and of, you know, dreaming and thinking and putting all these pieces together until you're actually then during the official hunting season. So, you know, this is an interesting time of year. I think uh, a lot of people kind of fade away from deer hunting at this time, but I hope coming out of our conversation here today, Dan, that you know more people will remember that hey, there's some there's some things we can be doing, some things we can check off the list. Yep, and I actually just wrote a blog about this and basically said that the next you know sixty days from the time the seasons end until you know till uh, shed season really starts to rock and roll, there's plenty of stuff to do you know in and out of the timber to you know help you improve your chances for the the next season. Yeah. Yep, so true. That's that's exactly what I want to talk about here today. I really want to, you know, dive into some of the different things that you're doing, some of the things I'm doing, um, talk through some high level, you know, tips for each one of those different categories of what we're doing and why we're doing it and how we're doing it, um, and hopefully put, you know, a couple new ideas in some people's heads that they can, you know, go out into the woods or wherever they need to go to do it and uh, make some things happen because I really do think, um, I really believe that, you know, the this the quote unquote secret to killing, you know, deer or killing big deer, whatever it is you're trying to do, isn't a secret. It's really just doing the work. Um, it's actually putting in all the hours and the time and effort to do these things before the season, leading up to the leading up to the actual hunts, um, that put you in that position to have success. And and that work starts now. Um so that's... we all we all love our we all love to be lucky every once in a while, you know, in the old saying, I'd rather be lucky than good, but there, there really is no secret. I, I, I really can't, you know, agree with you more when you say that. Yeah, that's the truth. So how about we start going through some of these different things that we're working on right now and, uh, and kind of give our two cents on it all. Let's rock and roll. Awesome. So I think, you know, for me, one of the, one of the 
biggest things at this time of year, you know, January into February, um, you know, even even into March, would be scouting. Postseason scouting is something that's tremendously important. It's it's something that a lot of a lot of guys don't think about scouting typically until just before the hunting season. You know, lots of people all of a sudden start gearing into deer hunting season. You know, in late summer, they realize, oh, the season's coming. They start shooting their bows, do some scouting, hang their stands. Um, but really, if you want to really take advantage of the best time to scout, it's this late winter, early spring time period when you can, you know, start seeing some things that you wouldn't see in the summer. So um, I've got a couple of thoughts on postseason scouting, but I'm curious, Dan, do you put any, um, I guess, are you scouting at this time of year? If so, how and why? So when I scout this time of year, um, let's say, for example, this weekend I went out and I set up, um, I put some trail cameras back out and I put a giant pile of corn out. So, and then I had my trail cameras over top of this pile of corn. And before you do that, you should check uh, your state regulations to make sure that you can, in fact, do that. Iowa, you can. And um, so now that the season's over, the reason I wanted to do that was to get an inventory of what deer made it through the uh, shotgun season and the the entire season. But as far as scouting as is concerned, while I was doing that, I also took down two tree stands. But while I was doing that, there's just a little bit of snow on the ground, and you can see very clearly where the beds are this time of year. So I made a couple loops through um, some of my properties looking th for beds. Um, I also looked for sign and to try to locate where there might be uh, a higher concentration of sign on a particular side of the ridge as opposed to, you know, different areas on the farm. So the two things that I really look for um, would be beds. I look for sign and then because there's no leaves on the tree, I like to get to a high elevation and I like to actually look at the terrain without anything blocking it. And it's, you know, being in the timber and looking at terrain is a lot different than looking at it on a map. So you can get a good idea of travel corridors, pinch points, just from standing at the highest point on your property and looking through the emptiness, you know, with no leaves. So those are uh, three things that I really like to concentrate on. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Something I hadn't necessarily thought about, but makes a lot of sense is, is the visual advantage you have at this time of year. Um, and I think the other two points you made about what you're looking for, especially with that snow, um, is really helpful because there's, you know, there's a value to doing some scouting when there's still some snow, to, uh, excuse me, snow on the ground, which might be, you know, right now for a lot of people. And then there's some unique things that you can see just after the snow melts. And so I like to make sure I do a little bit of scouting at both time periods. Um, so when there's snow on the ground, just like you said, you, know, you can see some of these things a little bit better. So for example, you can identify what food sources are really being tore up right now because it's very easy to see, you know, if deer are moving through yeah. a snow-covered field. Um, and, you know, when you're scouting at this time of year, some things you need to realize are um, dependent on the time of year. So, right, a food source right now, if we see where deer are feeding right now, you know, mark that as, hey, this is a great late-season food source, but don't take this data and then think it will apply to your September deer hunting because those food sources right. change. But right. it's still great to know, okay, I've identified a spot that really is getting hit during the late season, and then you can apply that knowledge, you know, in December next year or whatever it might be. Um, 
I also like to look for, like you said, bedding areas, which are great things to, to really be able to see with the late season um, cover down, you know, leaves down and the snow on the ground. But again, to a degree, bedding areas change from early season to late season. So keep all that in mind. But, um, you know, one thing that tends to stay relatively consistent um, would be, you know, where the doe bedding areas are going to be. And you can really tell a doe bedding area is different than a buck bedding area because you're going to see a cluster of a bunch of beds. You're going to see four or five or six beds all in a group, lots of times in kind of a circle facing outwards. Um, and so when I see that, and you can really easily see that in the snow, okay, I know this is going to be a common doe bedding area. And in a lot of cases, you'll see those those doe bedding areas stay the same um, throughout most of the year. Um, not always, but but many times. And then again, when it comes to those buck bedding areas, that's something that I, you know, is going to be totally different from a from a doe bedding area. And that's something we can talk about later too. And, and we've talked about to a degree in some other podcasts. But I'm definitely looking for those things. Um, and then to your point about you know just seeing how deer are using certain areas, I always like to see just the concentration of travel and how they use terrain. Um, you know, this time of year, it's just so easy to see those trails where deer are moving. And it's, it really points out some some things that you typically would just know or you would think. But when you see it laid out there in the snow, illustrated so perfectly, it, it just kind of brings it all to a head. Um, you know, for example, there's a couple spots on one of my Michigan properties that I was walking recently. And you can just see how almost all of the travel going through this kind of, well, right now it's a, it's a field that's been plowed under. But all the travel going through this field goes through this low spot where there's two ridges on either side of it and it drops down low. And you see, I mean, every trail, anything that comes through funnels right into that low spot. And you can just see how, you know, these terrain features really, really do change how deer move. And seeing that illustrated in the snow just makes it very clear. So I love to walk around this time of year just to see that um, and to confirm, you know, I think that the deer will be using this saddle most of the year. And then, oh yeah, now I see in the snow perfectly, yep, they really are using this saddle um, or, you know, whatever it might be. It's a great time to confirm what the terrain should be doing and, and how it is. So, and, and one thing I would recommend to anybody out there would be Maybe even take a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen with you when you're out there because a lot of this stuff that happens now, you may forget about it if you don't document it. Um, I like to take a little note and it's just something as big as a, a piece of paper. And I'll, I did this last year where I went and I put a, um, a post-it note inside one of my trail cameras and I left a note to myself basically saying, Hey, put this trail camera at this location because it looked like there was a good amount of sign and movement. So that's where I put my trail camera this year. And it's if I never would have done that, I would have, would have forgot and maybe put it somewhere else and, and not caught that activity. So, you know, some documentation and little notes to yourself about what is out there and where you may want to set a tree stand or trim a, you know, trim a tree stand out in the, in the late summer could help you harvest a, a mature butt. That's so true. It's something that I always talk about of how important it is to, to take notes and, and document these things because, you know, inevitably you're going to forget a lot about it and mark these things yeah. on maps. Um, and I always, <laughs> I never take as much of my advice as I wish I would in this case. Yeah. I, I always try, but I end up forgetting it one day or I don't quite write enough or whatever it is, but I need to keep working on that too because um, like you said, it's so easy to forget a lot of that stuff and 
having it all laid out, especially if you have you know several years worth of this kind of information, when you start looking back at it and you have it all laid out there, written out, and you've got all those pieces of the puzzle, you can start seeing patterns and you can start seeing things at a higher level that you know kind of all come together and help you see bigger picture ideas that will be important yeah. about how deer are using your property. That if you just you know notice something one day, you know kind of tap it in your head and say, okay, I remember that, but you're never able to put all those things together if it's not all laid out in a journal or, you know, some type, some way of documenting it. So. Right. Right. That's uh, it makes a lot important. of sense. I mean, it, it's like we always say, the more information you have, the better. You know, it's just, uh, I, and again, that's why I love deer hunting so much is because it's, mm-hmm. it's just a giant puzzle and, you know, you're never going to be able to put the whole puzzle together unless you actually have the piece of the puzzle sitting in front of you. And if you're seeing these puzzle pieces and then, you know, they disappear out of your head two weeks later, you're never going to be able to put it all together. So I really think it's important to, to get these pieces, you know, confirmed in, in, a, in a place where you can see it, think through it, and, and put them together. So that's an important piece. Um, stepping back to the scouting side, though, once you start getting some snow melt, which is, you know, maybe not right now for some states, but plenty of states I'm sure don't have snow right now or, or you know I'm having a little bit of a warm up here in Michigan so we're losing a lot of your snow um, you know getting that scouting just after snow melt is super important too and I think we, we'll probably have a full episode devoted just to postseason scouting again because I think there's there's a lot of important things here um, but making sure to take advantage of that time just after snow melt but before grain up when you can see you know scrapes from the past year you can see rubs from the past year um, you can see trails that might have been from the early season or the rut um, now that the snow is gone all of that can be really helpful in, in, in setting up strategies for that portion of the year too so I think a long story short here is that you know this is not a time to sit in your house for all of January and February because there's a lot of good scouting to be done right now so you know make sure you're out there looking for things learning things and making sure you take note of that to to use the later time that's a fact so what else? We're scouting this time of year. Um, what else are you doing, Dan? Well, for me, whether I'm I, – I see up here uh, cleaning and organizing. I'm going through all my gear. I'm doing research on gear that I want to use next year, um, seeing if the stuff I have is still good enough to make it to the next year. For example, uh, this upcoming year – uh, I'm going to have to do purchase some new tree strain straps because my other ones are getting frayed and, and weathered. So I'm going to have to do that. Um, I also am the kind of guy I like to have the new and newest and greatest thing. Um, whether my budget allows that or not is another thing. So I always, I'm doing research now of, you know, what broadheads, is there anything that caught my attention what reviews are people doing? Um, and, you know, grunt calls, you know, always looking for that next um, piece of equipment that may increase my odds. But as we as we talk about a lot of that stuff, just is, you know, I don't know We're me and you are kind of set in our ways as it is anyway. But any anytime there's a new product that I feel can perform better than my current product, I'm I'm all for that. Yeah. Can't hurt to, you know stay abreast of what's out there and and sometimes there's new things to add to the arsenal 
Um, yep. Speaking of things, I, I just saw this somewhere. Um, I, never, I never noticed it while we were at the ATA show, but there's a new expandable broadhead with a, I think this is right, um, a five inch cutting diameter. What? Yeah, it's crazy. I'm pretty sure that's what I saw. Um, five inches? Five inches, like massive expandable blades. Um, I just don't see that working that well. Yeah, I, I have no just idea. Just because of how, you know, having uh, awesome wound channels, awesome, but then too big a blades will pre- prevent penetration. So I don't know. I'll, I'm going to look that up. Yeah, check it out. I, um, I, I just saw this in passing somewhere, so I, I could be completely wrong on it, but I'm pretty sure I saw like inch and seven eighths cut on contact. And then I, th- I really think it said five inches on, you know, expansion. Um, and I, I shouldn't even say which brand I think it is cause I'm, I might be wrong, but I think it was dead ringer, but you know, disclaimer, I could be completely wrong on that. I just saw something when I was browsing around online about it. So huh. we'll, we'll have to check it out later, but that's uh one of those things that was pretty interesting. Um, next thing you know, they're just going to be throwing machetes out of the tree at them. Yeah, I know. What well, at what point is, is too much? Is it too right. much? We'll, we'll find out, I guess. But, um, right. but yeah, gear definitely is an important thing this time of year. Um, especially now that, you know, the ATA show and shot show and all those big conventions, all the new products are being announced. It's kind of, kind of fun to see what's out there. And, uh, I know you and me are kind of similar on this. Um, I think it's a, it's a point worth making, um, and it could be a really long rant, so I won't make it that way. But, you know, with outdoor television and outdoor magazines and even Wired to Hunt, right, there's advertising on all of it. And, you know, manufacturers have to get the word out about their products, which is good. And, of course, all the companies want to say the good things about their products, which is great. I understand that. Um I think it's important just for all of us to remember like two things. Number one, you know, yeah, there's some good things out there. And like we just said, it's, it's great to stay abreast of what's new, find what's right for you, you know, up, upgrade your gear as needed because there's definitely going to be times when there's a piece of gear or clothing or whatever it might be that can really make a difference for you. And so I'm, I'm you know, all for that, and I, up, I upgrade my gear a lot. Um, but I just think it's also important to, again, say – you know, you don't always need to go buy the latest, greatest, fanciest thing. Uh, of course, you know, there's th- some things out there that I do and I like. So I'm, I'm guilty of this, and I think it's a good thing sometimes. But just don't feel like you always have to do that. Um, because in the end, gear is really helpful. It's great to have, you know, good quality gear helps a ton. But in the end, it comes down to you, to how you're hunting, to the work you're putting in. So I guess the, the whole point of this is don't ever feel like, you can't be successful if you don't have X item. And I'll never say that about, there'll be certain, you know, certain products I like and I'll recommend, but I'm never going to tell you, you have to have this to be successful because that's just not true. Um, so I guess just keep that in mind, you know, this coming season, when you're thinking about the new year, when you're looking at new gear, what you want to buy, you know, what you can afford, um, lots of good stuff out there, lots of stuff that's worth the money, but you know, there's lots of stuff that maybe you, you don't absolutely have to have. So I, Here, I think, I'll put it to you, I'll put it to you this way. Sorry to interrupt. That's right. But if you have a hundred dollars at the end of the season or at the beginning of the season, and you're debating on what piece of equipment to buy, that hundred dollars would be better spent on your wife or girlfriend before the season started than it would on any other piece of equipment that you had. So that would allow you more hunting time through brownie points. <laughs> There's probably a lot of truth to that. <laughs> so, so yeah. Just something to think about. I mean, 
I'm I'm still gonna go out there and buy some new gear because um, yep. there's lots of cool stuff out there. But you know, it's not gonna make or break your season in a lot of cases. So, hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. Comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Nonetheless, it's good to check your current gear that you have too, right? Um, I have made the mistake sometimes where the season ends and like I'm just done. Like it's a freezing cold, it's New Year's Eve, freezing cold, tons of snow. I get in from the hunt, I throw my stuff in the barn, and I don't touch it for like weeks or a month or whatever it is. Um, and then <laughs> I'm, I'm halfway guilty of that right now, actually. There's a bunch of stuff that I just have sitting in my barn still I haven't touched since I got done hunting with it. Um, but sometimes you can really get screwed because of that. Yeah. Um, I have a perfect example of a time I did this, which is just stupid. I, I mean, it's just plain stupid. I was out there with my muzzleloader on the last night of the season and I shot a couple does. This was like three years ago or two years ago. And I came in, was dealing with the does and, you know, didn't even think about the fact that I had left my muzzleloader in the barn with all my other gear. And I didn't think about cleaning it for like, like two months or longer. I can't remember what it was, but it was a very long time. I completely forgot about it. And by the time I finally remembered it was, completely corroded, rusted out, couldn't get the breech plug out. Um, in the end, I had to trash it because it was so far gone and completely, completely almost rotted. So that was, you know, a very expensive mistake, um, that I made there. So I've, I've learned that lesson, but hopefully, uh, I'm sure a few other people have probably made the same mistake too, but it's just important to check those things, clean your guns, you know, check your bow, you know, 
put all your gear back where it belongs, put things back in place, and uh, deal with it now. And this is hard to do sometimes, right? Because we're just tired. Um, but it's a lot easier to deal with gear issues now rather than, you know, September. You're about to head out for the first day of this hunt, and uh, you realize, oh, crap, I, you know, totally forgot to do X with my bow or whatever it might be. So now's a good time to deal with it. Clean it, you know. It's season's over. You don't need to worry about scent. I mean, on some of my tree stands, I'll I'll take it to the car wash, throw them all in the back of my truck, and just blast them, and even <laughs> use even use soap on them and clean them up, and then hang them up for the for the year. I mean, I don't care what kind of coating they have on it. If it sits in dirt and, and crud all year round, it's not good for it. Yeah, that's a good point. Also, to the point of tree stands, it's like you said, it's a really good time of year to, to check the straps on your trees yep. and tree stands. And in a lot of cases, you should just take your tree stands down so that those straps don't get worn out or possibly chewed by squirrels or whatever might happen. Um, but and I'm guilty of it too. I've left a lot of tree stands hanging for too long, um, and it's it'd be smart of me to, to pull some of those down and just check them because you don't want to climb up there October first and step onto the platform and have it crash down. Yep. So. The nuts and bolts too, you know, some of them have rusted and it, and every year, um, somewhere in October or hell, even later in the year, um, you'll see pictures on Facebook or some kind of social media of somebody, you know, Oh, thank God I had my safety harness on. Then they take a picture of a, a bolt or a cable that was rusted through and, uh, it bent on them and they fell. So that's important. Yeah. You definitely got to check on that stuff. That's for sure. So we're scouting, we're checking our gear, we're cleaning our gear, organizing our gear, just taking care of it now so we don't need to worry about it later. Um, another thing that I wanted to touch on again, you mentioned it really briefly when you were talking about what you're doing to scout, but I really think the inventory check thing is a pretty important thing this time of year. Oh, yeah. um, you know, getting your trail cameras out, and if it's legal in your state, putting some kind of attractant out in front of it that gets you know, the deer in front of your camera so you can see you know, who made it through the season. Who's going to be back in the next year? Because um, that, you know, just from understanding how your deer herd is going to evolve, that's important. And then just from a purely, you know, fun standpoint, it's nice to know who's going to be around um, and see, you know, sometimes I've had new deer move into the area at the very end of the season. Um, so it's good to catch that now too. So I like to put those types of, those types of cameras um, on a late season food source if I have it. Um, so in a lot of cases, like right now, I've got a great big, um, whitetail Institute wintergreens food plot with turnips and stuff like that. So the deer are hitting that really hard on one of my properties. So I've got a camera out in front of that. So they're already coming there. And then I put an attractant in front of the camera to then take those deer that are in the food plot and make sure they're right in front of my trail camera. And, yep. um, I know you do that with, you know, bringing some corn in too, Dan. So, yeah. And that's, I mean, literally checking trail cameras is I guess other than being in nature is my, is my favorite thing to do. I love checking trail camera pictures and you know, you ask your wife, you ask my wife, you ask, you know, tons of other people's wives or husbands who are addicted like we are in the hours we spent just clicking through, clicking through. Hey, is that that same buck from last year? I don't know. Let's compare it to this picture. And you go in your files and you, you pull up a picture from a year or two years ago and you'll say, yeah, that's him. That's him. Look, you can tell because he's got a little extra white on mm -hmm. this side of his neck. You know, it's like, we're just idiots. <laughs> that's the truth. But I love it. Yeah, I love it. Oh, it's, it's so much fun. If it wasn't for trail cameras, I don't. I honestly don't know if I would be as into hunting as I am. 
Oh, it definitely changed things. It yeah. totally changed things for people because all of a sudden you went from, you know, only knowing about the deer that you actually saw to now all of a sudden seeing the potential of all these other deer that are around there that you, you know, lots of times we never see these deer in person. It's only on trail yep. camera. And, uh, it really helps when you're able to start understanding these individual deer too. Yeah. So there's a, there's a blog post I wrote about this. I think last summer called the seven greatest dangers of trail cameras. Um, and it's related to this very topic. I'll post a link to it in the show notes. If you haven't seen that yet, uh, take a look. It's a, it's an important read. Dan, have you seen that one? I think I have. Yep. Basically it's don't, don't give it away. Yeah. Give it away. (laughs) Okay. I won't, won't. but yes, that is me and you. Yes, it is. And I, I imagine a lot of our listeners too. So trail cameras, big thing. And another, you know, a tie in here to the next topic. Um, Another big reason why I like to have trail cameras out this time of year is because I'm also looking at these pictures to see when the bucks start dropping their antlers. Yep. Um, for me, the timing of my shed hunting is really important. Um, and that's something, you know, I'll, I'll, let's go into detail on that another time. We'll probably have a full episode or two all about shed hunting. But um, knowing when the antlers are dropping is going to help you time when you start shed hunting. And that's a pretty important thing, I think. Um, and I actually wrote a blog post about that too that we posted on Facebook today. Um, so I can link to that too. But keep the cameras out. Check when those bucks are, are dropping their antlers. And that's really going to help you you know, once it comes to shed hunting. Yeah, buddy. I love shed hunting. But uh, unlike you, I, I have to rely on specific weekends. Because this year I have a uh, let's see a wedding I have to go to the second weekend in March, so my only really we, uh, weekends that I'm going to be able to shed hunt this year are either the um, the weekend before or the weekend after, and it's one of those things where depending on how much snow's on the ground, you could just be finding nothing but chewed antlers or no antlers at all. So timing is very critical. Yeah, man, I just I'm having issues with my voice. <laughs> Going through puberty over there? You know, it finally hit. It took a while, but I'm <laughs> finally making it happen. <laughs> what I was trying to say before I squeaked was, um, heck, I don't even know what I was going to say. <laughs> Something about shed hunting. Um, timing is everything. Timing is everything, especially when you hit puberty. That's important. Um, <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, God, where are we going? <laughs> shed hunting. <laughs> Live in person. Yeah, live in person, the real deal here. Shed hunting, though, right? Um, that's something we will talk about more and more you know, in the next couple of weeks. But for me, at least, I'm really thinking about shed hunting middle of February through the middle of March. Um, it seems that time frame is really you know, when most of the antlers are going to be on the ground, but also before you know, there's too much granary on the ground or before too many antlers get chewed up by squirrels and porcupines and different things like that. Um, so that's a big thing to be doing this time of year too. And we will cover that in a lot more detail. Hopefully Dan here, maybe sometime in mid February, we'll do an episode all about shed hunting and maybe get some experts on the show. I actually am trying to line up, um, someone who's going to help talk to us a little bit about training a dog to help you find sheds and, um, some other people that have a lot of experience finding antlers in addition to, you know, what we've done. So that should make for some interesting conversations because man, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. Yes, and, uh, it is. A lot of good things that can come from finding those antlers too. Except... Well, the, good, the good thing about it is, you know, you, ha- you have that piece of history with the deer. You also are out there 
getting some kind of exercise, breathing the fresh air, scouting while you're doing that. And so it's just the, it's the perfect thing to do. I mean, it, shed hunting is literally the best way to know your property and find antlers, which are awesome too. And it's just a nice, it's a nice season to look forward to. Like for me, yeah. my, my, my year is very season oriented. You know, yeah. I, you've got the deer hunting season to look forward to, or, you know, whatever hunting season it is that you're looking forward to. Um, but then, you know, this, this February, March time frame is kind of a dead spot if it weren't for shed hunting, um, yep. for, for some people at least. So it's something I can get excited about. And definitely my mind turns to sheds once, uh, usually once February shows up, I'm really thinking about the bone and, uh, for me, it's a fun excuse to get out and do a couple more trips. You know, we're going to do a trip to Ohio and uh, hopefully another trip to Iowa. So, you know, I think uh, any excuse to find more antlers off your property, Dan, so that you can't have the big ones is a good, is a good thing. <laughs> you son of a... <laughs> yeah, you know, I got to tell you, I, I was bummed that you didn't get to go and do any more late season hunting, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't too sad about the fact you didn't get a shot at Mark Kenyon because I like that antler. I know. I know. I know. I, although I did bump him once this year. That was so, during the, during your rut week, right? Yep. It weeks. was probably somewhere around the, uh, 10th or 11th. He was with a doe and I, I was going into, uh, uh, going into a, one of the tree stands that I had set earlier in the week. And sure enough, I bumped him, bumped him out. And then, um, something happened where right at last light, he was coming back in and, he started blowing. So I think I had some, some, uh, some swirls or something going on and I don't know, but then I didn't see him again. Yeah. He's a, he's a smart old buck. He, he, yeah. uh, takes after his namesake. Yep. I'd that's say. right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> At least I'd like to think so. <laughs> um, you know, which something we just talked about, they're planning shed hunting trips ties into another thing I like to do this time of year, which is working on planning my actual hunting trips. Um, you know, for me, I do a lot of traveling for my hunting since, uh, you know, my, my home properties here in Michigan are, are okay, but I, I do like to get out of state a good bit. So I think this time frame, January, February, March is a great time to start planning that because you've got plenty of time to, you know, take care of any contingencies, figure things out, do additional research, maybe do some scouting if you can. Um, and it's also a great time of year to be figuring this out now so that you have time to, you know, go and figure out access if you have to ask for permission. You know, I, I'd like to know, I'd like to make my plans now so that I've got, you know, plenty of time to go ask permission to scout, to do the work. Um, you don't want to be doing this in August when you're, you know, the hunting season's almost here. So I spent a lot of time thinking through, you know, What's, you know, thinking through the states I want to hunt, thinking through, you know, do I need to buy preference points? A lot of states, if you're going to hunt, you know, Iowa or Kansas or Illinois, these states, you know, require that you apply for your licenses in the spring. So you need to have planned that trip and be ready for it beforehand. Um, so that's another good reason to be figuring all those things out now. Um, it's also just a good, fun way to keep yourself engaged with hunting while you're stuck inside on a really cold, snowy, blustery day. Um, I spend lots of time looking at maps, going on Google Earth, and just staring at these things or studying plat maps and parcel borders and picking out this property and that property and if I could hunt that one and if I could hunt that one. Um, I don't know. Do you do that? Mark, I'll be honest with you. If they were going to have an intervention for me on something, it wouldn't be booze or drugs. It would be Bing Maps 
or Google Maps or parcel like to find out who the owner of that uh, particular property is. I spend so much time. It's it's ridiculous how much time I spend on those uh, on those websites. Yeah, I uh, guilty too. You know, another thing I like to do in in addition to that, I don't do this as much as uh, some of my friends, but I like to go and look at properties for sale. So like I'll go to Whitetail Properties website. And just look at all the different properties in Iowa and kind of dream about, ooh, I'd, oh, I'd, like, yeah. that. I'd like that property. <laughs> if, I, if I only had a million five, I'd buy that property. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then you dream about, man, how could I get that? Right. <laughs> and then before you know it, Dan, you're robbing banks. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> hey, don't put it past me. No, I wouldn't. If anyone would do it, unfortunately, it might be you. <laughs> so why did you do it, Mr. Johnson? <laughs> I wanted whitetail property. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've, we've got an issue, don't we? Yeah, we do. Yeah. So looking at properties is important. Um, and that's another piece, you know, in addition to, you know, planning the trips is is actually looking at the properties and determining, you know, which new properties you want to hunt next year. Um, and we talked about this in one of our episodes back in the summer, I think, about gaining hunting permission. Yep. Um, I'll make sure to link to that in this show notes. But I think it's really important to try to pick the properties that you want to hunt in the future now. Because one of the best tips, you know, that you and I have both used in the past is to actually, you know, find those properties and then go ask for shed hunting permission this time of yep. year when you want to go shed hunting because you, you can establish that relationship. You're more often going to get a yes when it comes to shed hunting than you might get when you ask for deer hunting. But if you can say, hey, I'd love to walk your property, look for some antlers, that's kind of low risk and it's far away from hunting season. So they're, you know, in many cases, landowners are like, yeah, sure, you can walk for the day. And then by doing that, right, you get to show, you know, you're respectful. You didn't do anything bad to their property. You, you'll have another excuse to talk to them some more, you know, build a little bit of a relationship there. And, oh, by the way, you also get to scout the property while you're looking for sheds too. Um, yep. And so it really is like the best thing you can do when it comes to trying to, at least I think so, and when it comes to trying to gain hunting permission is try to get shed hunting permission. It's a great way to start it. So. You have to go and find those properties now so that you can go and ask for shed hunting permission, you know, in a month or so. And what I've learned, it's all about trust. The landowner has to be able to trust you on their property, whether it's to close a gate behind you or, you know, leave things as they were when you go and come, when you're going and coming from these properties and that you're a good person and that you're there for the right reasons. And, um, you know, because a lot of these times, if you do get permission, it's one chance and you're done. So, yeah. So, I mean, that that's just my, mine in the mine in the past, my experience in the past. So, uh, it, it, like you said, th- this is the perfect time to do that uh, because right now the farmers, unless they have livestock, the farmers they're not as busy as they're going to be in the spring and, and as they are in the fall. So, I mean. Right now, other than, you know, the, uh, if they have odd jobs that they have to do, you know, a farmer's always busy, but they're less busy this time of year than they are any other time of year. Yeah. Yep, that's definitely the case. And um, it's, you know, it's just a, it's another fun thing to do. 
keeping your mind engaged in this kind of thing this time of year. Um, and I guess for a quick, you know, we might have talked about this before, but I want to make sure to point out uh, something that I think has been very helpful for both you and me, Dan, is using, you know, online maps to find these mm-hmm. properties. And so, you know, like we talked about, using Google Maps to look at an area, you know, we, we maybe we've driven by a spot that looks really bucky, you know, Great Swamp or whatever it is. But you can go on Google Maps, you know, see, okay, here's the terrain I want to hunt. I love this area. And then mo- most counties have online GIS maps, which are essentially the database, the, the maps for that county that show the parcel borders and the landowner information. And so what I do is for whatever county I'm hunting, I just go to Google and I search, you know, X county GIS maps. And almost always, always you're going to find a link that you can click to and it'll allow you to pull up that map. And then you can take a look at, you know, all the property borders overlaid over an aerial image of, you know, that area. So you can see, okay, specifically, I'm interested in hunting this property, this one, and this one. And you can get the name and address for all those landowners. And then you're, you know, you're set to go out there during shed season, knock on their doors, hopefully get permission. And then the whole process starts there. But um, using these you know, new digital resources makes it a lot easier, especially if you're trying to hunt somewhere out of state. Because, you know, in the past, if you want to get that property information, you had to buy a plat map. Um, Some people would mail it to you, but in some cases, you might actually have to be in that county to go to the courthouse and find whoever sells it and buy the physical book, which is a which is a pain in the butt if you live in Michigan, and you're trying to hunt in Iowa. So, you know, now you can get it all almost all of it digitally and uh, is really easy. And I just want to uh, take a step backwards for a moment and talk about um, get, about getting permission. Um, another thing, here's a tip: if you if you you have permission to a certain property, and I this is what I have done in the past. Um, you say, okay, I you go up to the landowner and you, you let them know, hey, I already have permission to hunt here. Whether they're friends or not, uh, the two landowners are friends. They they know that okay. So if so and so lets them hunt, then maybe I'll hunt because this is what I've found that if you, the bigger area that you get and the bigger chunk that are that are that are touching, the better. Because I have a um, I have a couple properties where it's a it's a small parcel and then a piece of property between it and then another small parcel you know and if i had that entire section it would make make it easier for me to you know pattern some of some of these deer so so that's one thing the second thing would be to ask about access it doesn't you know let them know hey if you're not going to let me hunt here, would it be possible if I use your farm road to get back to the property to make it so you don't have to walk as far or and cast your scent over some of these properties? So I do have a, a property where I only am allowed to park on it and walk through it or walk on this road and that's it. So that's just another another thing to be aware of when you're when you're asking for permission. That's a really good idea. That's a great point um, because, again, something that so many people overlook and I've overlooked at times too is just, you know, getting lazy about your access. And if you can improve your access and exit routes, that can really change how a property hunts. Yeah, that's so, a fact. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I mentioned it to you um, back in December, but I had an, a late season hunt in Indiana and I couldn't access it the way I usually did because the creek had flooded. 
Um, so I couldn't get through, but I was able to ask for permission to access from the other side. And that ended up being a much better access route in general. Um, yep. So that might be something, you know, if I were going to hunt there in the future, I would just try to establish that um, with a landowner again to be able to access from that side because it gets you in there without disturbing a lot of the other parts of the property. So um, I like where your head's at. Good good thought, Dan. Yep. Um, all right. So what else are we doing this time of year? Something I'm doing now, uh, and I'm really doing this all year. But especially now, given the weather, given I'm, I'm not doing as much outside as I typically am, you know, during hunting season or during the summer, is I'm doing a ton of um, learning and reading and researching. Um, I'm, you know, as I've admitted before, I'm a huge book nerd. So this time of year, I'm, I'm devouring books, lots of stuff related to hunting, um, lots of how-to books, lots of, you know, more deeper hunting-related books. Um, I'm researching um, you know, some of the things we talked about, like specific areas to hunt or properties to hunt, but I'm also just researching, you know, I'm always trying to learn. I think one of the biggest things when it comes to being a deer hunter is realizing that you can never stop learning. Um, there's always something new to learn. There's always new ideas, new concepts, new ways to evolve our understanding of white-tailed deer. And that's a big reason why I love it so much is because it's something that I'm so fascinated with and I, I know I will never have it all figured out. So I'm just constantly trying to find a little extra here or understand one more thing here. Um, so I don't know about you, but this time of year, I'm just just devouring content, reading magazines, reading books. I'm on blogs, reading different things all the time. Um, hopefully, you know, for other people out there, you know, what they're finding and where to hunt is helping them in that standpoint or from that standpoint. But uh, there's lots of other good stuff out there, too. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. Comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. 
Yeah. It's uh for me it's it's almost a, a bit hypocritical, but I'm not really into I, I, I do occasionally read a story of another hunter, but what I like to devour this and you nailed it when you said the word evolve. Um I like to read on science, um why an animal does the things they do, um, what makes a specific predator better at killing an animal than another predator or, um, you know, how a deer's nose work, how their glands work, you know, what is the trigger for the rut? What is, you know, you know, background on moon phases, all that kind of, all that kind kind of scientific, um, evidence or hypothesis and, and all that kind of stuff is what really, what really gets me going. Yeah. That stuff's, uh, fascinating. Yeah. Um, and you know, a couple of magazines. There's a lot of good, you know, hunting magazines out there. Um, but a couple do, a, you know, have you know standard sections related to biology. Um, Quality Whitetails has a lot of great content um, when it comes to the biology and science of deer. Um, and they also, and, and you know, as I think most people know, Quality Whitetails is the magazine published by the Quality Deer Management Association. Um, they also release something in uh, end of January or February called the Whitetail Report every year. Um, so the 2015 whitetail report, I think will be available in a week or two. And usually that really goes into some interesting details in regards to, you know, current whitetail trends with populations and harvests and different things like that. But then also they dive into some different things with other studies and research about deer. Um, it's always pretty fascinating. So I'd recommend, you know, people check out the whitetail report. Um, like I said, in a couple of weeks, it'll be available. And if you just Google, you know, 2014 whitetail report or 2015 whitetail report, that's a good one um, to get that kind of info, Dan. I don't know if you've ever been able to take a look at that, but I've always yeah. been interested in it. Yep. And here's here's something that's kind of weird. And don't think I'm actually going to murder another person, but my whole my wife watches a lot of murder mysteries and Dateline and 2020s and all those things. So the other night she was watching something on a serial killer and they finally caught this guy and they're asking him, you know, how'd you get away with all these things? And he's like, and he, it's crazy coming from the mouth of a serial killer, but it's kind of like we are the same when hunting deer, we're some of the, use some of the same principles. He's like, the more I know about the person that I'm going to kill, the easier it was for me to do it. So you translate that into deer hunting and you know, the more information you know about how a deer acts, how what he, what his patterns are, what he does, you know, in certain times of year, it's going to become easier for you to um, put together a game plan to try to harvest that animal. Yeah, that's a, a great point, but a super creepy way to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're but you're absolutely right. Um, you gotta understand your prey. You gotta understand yeah. your quarry. Yep. And now is a great time to really dive into that. Um, you know, another plug here I'd like to make, um, you know, I think a lot of us really like how-to articles, you know, different tips and tactics for how to be a better hunter. It's, you know, makes a lot of sense to read things like you're just talking about the research about deer and better understand our prey. Um, but I would really encourage everyone to do a little reading or thinking about hunting from a different standpoint. And, you know, maybe I'm a little bit of a, I don't know, rom romantic on this, um, but the, the the philosophical or ethical or moral standpoint of hunting. 
Uh, I think that everyone, it, I think it's a good idea for everyone to think about the ethics of hunting. Um, and sometimes look at, look at how you hunt and you'll examine the ethics of what your hunting ethic is. Because I think that's something that evolves or at least should evolve. And everyone should at least be thinking about that. Um, why you hunt, how you hunt, what these things mean. Are you going about it the right way? Um, we're all going to draw different lines in the sand, but I think it's very important to at least be thinking about that and cognizant of that. And um, you know, there's a book that I read last year that really um, helped me to do this. It really made me ask questions about myself, to think about, you know, why do I do this? How do I do this? Am I doing this in the best way possible? Um, Am I doing, you know, the the animal, the service that that should be done? Am I respecting it the proper way? Um, and it was a really good book for me to read, to ask these questions, to think about these things. And it's called A Hunter's Heart, and it's a, a series of essays that are collected by a guy named David Peterson. Um, he wrote one essay, but there's another like forty or forty five articles or essays or chapters um, devoted to all sorts all sorts of different things related to hunting. Uh, but it's more of the deeper side of hunting. So it's asking the questions of why we do it or you know, why and how do we do it, or the ethics of different pieces and parts of it. And it's just a good read to challenge you as a hunter and as a person to think through these concepts because, um, you know, when it comes right down to it, hunting is a very, it's a serious thing. Like we are going out there and we are hunting an animal and we are killing an animal. We are taking a life. And I think that's something that it's not trivial. It's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something that should be thought of as, you know, as, as just a game or something, you know, fun to kind of go out and do. It's, of course, we enjoy hunting, but it's a very serious type of thing. And I think it's important to have that respect for it and um, to think through it um, in those ways. So I'd really encourage everyone to take a look at that book if you get a chance. It's called A Hunter's Heart. Um, it just, it does a nice job of presenting a lot of different thoughts and opinions and viewpoints on hunting um, that really got me thinking. And I think if everyone read that book and at least... You know, you're not going to agree with everything, but at least allow yourself to be open to these ideas and just to think through these things yourself. Um, gosh, I think we would all be better for it. So, yeah, that's uh, my little and plug. It's a, it's pretty cool once you realize that hunting is not just camo and bow and all this stuff. And if you can, if you can let your mind absorb the spiritual side of it too, it just adds that much more enjoyment to to the actual process i guess that is hunting yeah yeah there's 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 so much so much more to it i think a lot of us start out you know as kids you know dad or grandpa or uncle or a friend gets out gets you out there hunting and at that point you know you're just trying to wrap your head around the basics you know what do i got to do to see a deer or what do i need to do to kill a deer and at that point it's just kind of you know the surface level stuff there's a deer here's a gun how do i shoot it how do i kill it um, but I think as we age, um, we begin to think through more of these things about, you know, the, the deeper aspects of it. And like you said, you know, for some people, almost the spirituality of it or the, whatever it might be for you, um, it's a really deep thing. And it's something that I think for me, um, it's really at the core of who I am and digging into that and thinking about that. And, you know, um, I don't know, just having these types of conversations, whether it be with other people or kind of internally with yourself I think it helps you grow as a hunter and as a person and it's it's an important thing to do so whether it be with a book or you know just thinking about these things yourself I'd, I'd encourage everyone to try to do that in these next couple of weeks during this kind of the heart of winter um, it's a good time to do that kind of thinking yep for sure um, I guess moving on from our deep piece there 
there's there's two more things I think we want to touch on, Dan. Um, and I, I'll touch on one, and then I'll let you touch on the second um, because I think you are you know, particularly fond of doing this. I think we also be, um, but fitness is something that I think a lot of hunters should be thinking about at this stand, at this time of year. Um, I'm not going to try to say that everyone needs to be, you know, uh, uh, an iron man to be a successful deer hunter. You don't need to be, um, you know, Cameron Haynes to kill yep. deer, but it is a good thing to, to sharpen that tool because when it comes right down to it, you know, as we talked about, you know, there's all these different pieces of the puzzle when it comes to being able to hunt a deer and there's all these different tools you can use and your body, your physical body is one of those tools that is, you know, part of the entire equation when it comes to hunting. When you're walking to your tree stand, when you're drawing your bow, when you're out there in the cold, all these different things, you will be able to perform those tasks better if your body is in tune, if you are making sure it's as optimal as possible. So, you know, I'm not going to say that everyone needs to be working out every day of the week and, you know, be weightlifting and eating protein or drinking protein shakes every day. But, you know, I think I just encourage everyone to think about different ways to try to, um, you know, improve their physical, physical fitness a little bit. And if you're really into it, that's awesome. I think the, the more, the better. Um, I'm certainly trying to do that as best as possible, given, you know, my deer hunting and elk hunting and trying to do some bear hunting this year and a bunch of different things where it really does require you be, you know, physically ready for that. Um, but now is a great time of year to get into it if you aren't already. Um, my issue, Dan, I don't know if you're like this, but my biggest challenge is that I'm, I'm pretty good about, you know, staying relatively in shape and working out when it comes to the winter months, you know, February, March, April, even into the summer when I'm out running or doing different things outside. But once hunting season hits, for me, like once deer hunting season starts, I stop doing all my other workout, you know, routines and stuff, and I'm just hunting or, yep. and working. And I always fall into this hole where I did really good all year leading up to it. And then for four months, I'm just a turd. I don't work out. I eat like crap. I have horrible sleeping habits. And then when it comes back to the winter again, after the deer season, I'm trying to start working out again. Then I'm just killing myself because I should have stayed stuck with it. So I wish, you know, in the future, I'm going to try to do better to kind of stick to some kind of routine because I just uh, did one of my more serious workouts just recently after not doing anything all fall. And I am still sore and just struggling. Yep. Uh, the last two weeks have been my, what I call my sore weeks. So I do a lot of heavy lifting and to get the soreness out of the way. And then I'll expand my workouts into other things. But, but I wanted to make sure that when I went on my Nebraska trip last year, um, this past fall, that I wasn't going to let my, you know, my legs determine you know, that I could or could not go any further than what, you know, my body would allow me. So I work my legs, you know, typically people, they don't work their legs. They work those glamour muscles, you know, the, 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 the curls and the triceps and the chests and whatever. But when it comes to hunting, you're on your legs 90% of the time. So those are the, those are the muscle groups that you really got to focus on. And Again, with this with this elk hunt that we're going to be going on this year, I am not going to let you know my body exhaustion determine not making it to the next hill that I need to be to potentially shoot an elk. And I saw a direct result of that this year when I went out to Nebraska and I was walking you know 15 miles a day. So I I saw that my, my working out and 
you know, taking better, better care of myself, losing weight and all that stuff, um, helped me. And I plan on doing that again this year when we go out, uh, out in the mountains and, you know, it doesn't help to drop a couple pounds while you're doing it too. So, yeah, for me, you know, like I wish I was more motivated to, to stay in really good shape just from a purely, you know, Hey, it's good for you standpoint or, you know, just get in better shape, keep the wife happy type of deal. (laughs) But I am the biggest motivator for me is these hunting trips. Like yep. having, you know, having a trip like that where I'm, Hey, I, I'm going to be hunting, you know, in Idaho for elk or, Hey, I've got deer season coming up and I know I'm going to have to put a tree stand and a 25 pound pack and hike two miles back to the spot in public land to hunt, you know, knowing that that is in my future. That's the stuff that gets me out there and gets me running or gets me lifting or doing whatever it is. Um, like I literally, when I'm running the final minute or the final you know quarter mile, when you're just huffing, trying to get back to the end. Um, I just envision like coming up over a hill towards an elk or having that buck walk in and I'm at full draw for two minutes. And, um, you know, like you said, I never want a physical thing, like my lack of effort and work from a physical standpoint. I never want that to be the reason why I can't, you know, reach my goal. Um, and you know, a perfect example for me was this past year with my Ohio buck. Um, I was drawn on that deer for almost two minutes straight. Um, and I was at full draw for almost two minutes. And if I hadn't been, you know, working hard all spring and summer to make sure I've got some basic shoulder and arm strength, um, and I'm not a big, you know, terribly super duper strong guy or anything. Um, but just trying to maintain, you know, that ability to, to handle something like that. Um, if I wasn't, if I hadn't been working out and doing anything to work on my shoulders or anything, I don't think I would have been held, held for two minutes and I wouldn't have gotten that deer. If I wasn't at full draw that entire time without moving, without letting down that deer would have been gone. But because I was able to stay two minutes, not move, stay at full draw, I got that buck. And, um, you know, that's just one example of, of how and, and why that's important, even for a whitetail hunter, even more so if you're hunting other species. So, right. And I think, I think another good thing that comes out of, you know, physical fitness is mental clarity because you, it is a huge stress reliever. And science proves all these things about how, um, you know, if you work out, it improves your self-awareness or I don't, I really don't know what all that, all that mumbo jumbo is about, but you're sitting, you're, you're in, you're in really good shape and you, that discipline it takes to, you know, lift five days a week or work out five days a week or do all that translates into the patience in the stand. And when the time comes, to, you know, you, it, it would reduce your, your buck fever so to speak. So I've done some reading on that as well, where, you know, the better shape you're in, the, the less butt fever. Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of intuitive sense. That would be the case. That's for sure. That, Um, and it's my stress reliever. I sit in a cubicle all day long and I can't hit people at my job. (laughs) So I, I go out and I, you know, I push around some heavy weights and I, you know, walk on a Stairmaster or do some running and, that energy gets put towards, I guess, my fitness instead of going to jail. Yeah. And I think uh, most people are in jobs where they can't hit people too. So (laughs) (laughs) this would be a good recommendation for them too. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, This is something, you know, again, you know, if you're not that kind of person that wants to be working out, it's not required. And I'm not trying to say that you need to be doing this kind of thing, but it it helps. It really does. Um, So we're going to have, we're hopefully going to be having 
Cameron Haynes on the show here in the future to discuss this topic in more depth. And for those that don't know, Cameron Haynes is, is kind of the guy in the hunting world who has really become a spokesman for, you know, trying to you know be more phys- physically prepped for the hunt. And he's a big, you know, Western hunter in the mountains and stuff. But I know he does some whitetail hunting and some blacktail deer hunting and things like that. So hopefully we can continue this conversation with him in the near future and uh, get some ideas and ways that we can all become a little bit better physically prepared to deer hunt um, in addition to all the different mind uh, games and strategies and things that we put together. So that uh, all being the case, Dan, what is the final thing that we should be doing this time of year um, as deer hunters? Um, Kissing our wife's butts. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, this is that time of year where projects like here this month or next month I got another kid coming so that means I got another bedroom to build whether it's going to be painting putting together a crib moving stuff around um, doing all these things because my wife isn't you know my wife isn't pregnant or my wife is pregnant now so uh, you know household jobs that may that you've put off for too long landscaping you know that that typically would happen in the summer but anything that's going to allow you more time in the stand you know the better and i'm going to have two kids so i'm going to have to do a lot of you know building those brownie points and working my butt off every weekend now so that when November comes, I, I can take off as much time as possible. And, you know, and I know I, just like you, I think we talked about this the other day, Mark, is you got to choose your battles. Is it worth going on that, um, that you know, overnight or two-day fishing trip in the summer? Or do you want to take those two days and use them in the, uh, in the fall? So yeah. choose your battles wisely. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um and I think that applies to a lot of things. People are like, oh, how can you go hunting all the time? How can you get all this time away? Well, I'm not, you know, because I want to spend this time on these hunting trips and things I'm doing, I'm not going on, you know, other trips with other people and doing other things throughout the year. It's, you know, I'm devoting my time either to my wife or to hunting. Um, so I'm sacrificing a lot of other things that my other buddies are doing. I'm not going to, you know, football games. I'm not going to basketball games. I'm not going to Las Vegas. Um, I'm either doing stuff related to hunting or I'm spending time around the house, helping out, spending time with the wife. Um, and that's a choice that I've made based on priorities. And I think, um, you know, everyone has to keep that in mind. And everyone's priorities are different. But if you think that you want hunting to be, you know, up towards the top for you, then you need to, you do need to sacrifice some things. So that's uh, great, great stuff to think about. And I think also financially, that's a whole other thing. Oh, yeah. But, um, uh, you know, for me, I don't, you know, I'm not buying... I don't buy pretty much anything other than our basic necessities and stuff related to hunting. I don't buy stuff. I don't buy clothes more than like once a year, a couple basic things because I've chosen that I want to put my, you know, my time and money and finances behind a couple things that are important to me and not a bunch of fancy TVs or video game systems or uh, whatever it might be. And that's just me. Everyone's got their priorities, but I think that now is a good time to think about all those things and and plan for it. The dollar bill controls all. And uh, I know that this year I'm going to have to choose wisely what I what I decide to make my purchases on because I already know that I'm going to need, um, you know, a little bit different clothing or some different gear for when we go up into the mountains. And uh, um, 
that's going to cost money and uh, I got a plan for it. Yeah. Yep. That's the truth. So I think Dan, that is all the time we've got today. We've kind of been yammering here for a while and we covered a lot of things today. We did. I think a lot of stuff we touched on and um, we'll probably dive in deeper on a number of these things in the future, but hopefully we got some of our listeners kind of minds turning on some of these things they can start doing at this time of year. January and February is it's not a time just to sit in your butt. Um, there's a lot of stuff we can be doing to work towards the 2015 hunting season. So I hope that we, uh, got some, got some ideas moving, got some people motivated. And I know what this helped me get motivated about some of the things I need to do too. So I think, uh, I think that's going to be it for us, Dan. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Yes, we will. And um, actually today on the Wired to Hunt blog, I actually posted something asking everyone to share with us who you want to hear on the Wired to Hunt podcast this year. Um, So if you didn't already, go to wiredhunt.com, check out that blog post, and leave us your suggestions in the comments section. We want to know who you want to hear from, and I'm going to do everything I can to get those people on the show here in the coming months. So again, you'll go to wiredhunt.com. And if you want to go to the show notes for this one, wiredtohunt.com slash episode 40, I'll make sure to have a link to that blog where you can leave your suggestions. Um, We also talked about a number of other blog posts and videos and and different resources. I will make sure to have those links at the show notes as well. So again, that's wiredtohunt.com slash episode 40. Uh, If you haven't already done so, another thing I'd recommend you do is subscribe to the Wired Hunt podcast on whatever podcast app you have on your phone or your tablet. It makes getting these podcasts a lot easier. So if you have an iPhone or iPad, you can get the podcast app. Uh, If you have an Android device, you can use the Stitcher app. Um, Make sure to check those out. Download them. Subscribe to the podcast. That way you'll get our show every week. Download it right to your phone or tablet right away. You won't need to think about it so that when you're driving to work next time, it'll just be there and ready for you. So recommend you do that. As always, we'd also like to thank our partners who help make this show possible. Big thank you to Sitka Gear, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Carbon Express Arrows, Hunt Soft, Lacrosse Boots, Big and J Long Range Attractants, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. And finally, we need to say thank you to you guys, the listeners. Thank you again for getting us to 40 episodes. It's been awesome. I'm glad you guys have been enjoying them. Hopefully we can make the show even better in the future. So, so thank you for that. And I guess in closing, I know it's easy for you to want to settle into the couch, kind of get lazy. I do it too. But remember, there's a lot to be done still. Like we've talked about, there's plenty of work to do here in January and February. So get out there, do the work, dream big for 2015. And of course, always stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. 
Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. 